also to Pastor Norman and Jana. Where is she? You know, Norman has a unique ability to discern when others have a word from God. And people like Jerry and myself and, and, and quite a few of you get that privilege from time to time to share that word. He, he's not protective of this pulpit. And he doesn't have to be because it doesn't belong to him. It's God's. And so I count it a, a great privilege to, to be here today and get to share with you what God's put on my heart. You know, sometimes we, I've learned a long time ago, as we hear from God, it just kind of gets full and you've got to let it out sometime. That's right. Amen. So, y'all pamper me, and if you don't want to hear what I have to say, pamper me anyway, so I can get that release that I need. Okay. All right? In that last song we sang, there's a phrase in there that I think is true about this morning, and it, it says... I sense, I perceive that God is going to rearrange, rearrange. I hope you're here this morning with an open heart to God to let Him do any rearranging in your life that He wishes to do. After all, we're not going to be able to walk in the ways of the Spirit of God Unless we do that. He has to be in charge. He has to be God. And you say, well, He is God. Yes, but is He God in your life? Is He really God in your life? And I think you want Him to be. And that's, that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Now let me preface what I have to say with this. This teaching is for those of you who understand a couple of things. Number one, you can never do enough. You can never perform sufficiently to please God. God said in Romans 8, 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's just a, a fact. You cannot. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. Just can't happen. So we got to know that. But I'm also speaking to a group of people that I, I believe share this feeling. And that is that you still live part of your life frustrated with the old nature, the old man. With that that way you were before. You still struggle with that. You get frustrated with that. So the question arises is this. Can we truly live consistently in Christ? In the new man? For those of you who have learned from Pastor about the exchange, you know that what he means by that is that you have made an exchange from an old nature that you had before you knew Christ to a new one that you took on upon learning of Christ. And in doing that exchange, you became a new person. You know that's what he's talking about. 
And you've, you've done that. I, I'm, I'm confident most, if not all of you, have done that. But you live some frustrating times when you encounter that old nature trying to creep back in. And when you ask the question, is it really possible to live day after day after day consistently in that new nature, that new man, in Christ? The resurrected life, the life that is above that. Okay, with that in mind, I have something I want to talk to you about. And I want you to stay with me. And I say that because this, this message builds. And if, if you miss part of it, it's going to be confusing. So I want you to, to really put everything else aside and really stay with me, stay focused on, on what we're talking about here. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. And I believe this gives us a real key to what I want to talk about. It says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will retain honor. First of all, the word man in that verse, if you look at the, the uh, definition, it's simply a human being. It's the old man. It's the old nature. That old man's pride will bring him low. If you look at the word spirit in that verse, it is the new man. It is the spirit of man. It's, it's the man that's regenerate and has become new. And it says of him, a humble spirit, a humble new man will find honor. So what does that tell us? It says basically what I said before. Pride is the motivation of the old man. Whereas humility is the motivation of the new man. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Pride is the motivation of the old. Humility is the motivation of the new. Pride and humility are basically opposite, wouldn't you say? Now there's something interesting about both of these motivations. Neither of the motivations is something you and I can generate. Because they're products of the nature that they represent. The old man's always going to be proud. You can try real hard to humble yourself, but in the old nature, you just simply can't do it. Because that's his character. That's what he's made up of. He is proud. And he will always be proud. Likewise, the new nature is humble. Because he's born of another seed. He's born of a new nature. And that new nature is, by nature, humble. So when we are instructed in Scripture to humble ourselves, 
It basically means transfer natures. Because you can't do it in the old nature. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Because that's exactly what they say. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care or your anxiety upon Him, because He cares for you. You humble yourself not by gritting your teeth and making effort, but by casting your cares upon Him. What is that doing? That's transferring the burden of getting it done from you to Him. That is saying, I can't do this, Lord. My old nature is perpetually proud. And He can be nothing else. So if I'm going to be humble, I've got to transfer from the old to the new. And when I do that, I unload me from the burden of having to humble myself over to Him. I cast my cares, my anxieties over to Him. And He takes care of it. That's really a hard concept to grasp for people like me who want to feel like they're doing some good. Any of you like that? You just are driven to accomplish I've got to find something I can do to contribute and accomplish in this life. But that's the old man. The new man says, casting all your cares over to Him. That's how you humble yourself. And when you do that, you step over into the new nature. Pride, I described earlier, is the desire for inherent worth. I have to accomplish, I have to find justified existence. Pride is the essence of the old man, or of the self. Of me, left to myself, in my own strength. Now how does that happen? How does it happen that we have the opportunity to step out of that old nature and that corrupt way of life and that self-centered way of life into the new man, the exchange life, the life that is not my life at all, but it's the life of another, Jesus. How does that happen? Let's go back to the beginning. Now, now pay close attention. This is really important. Let's look at, at God's creation. And you know that He created the heavens and the earth, and then He created man. And that man's name was Adam, and He gave him a wife named Eve. And the Bible says that God created man in His own image. Right? Everybody knows that scripture, right? God created man in His own image. He was just like God. When Adam sinned by disobeying God, by partaking of the forbidden fruit, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to agree with when you first hear it, but, but stay with me. When Adam sinned, 
He lost that image. He no longer looked like God. He did not have the nature of God any longer. And I want to show you scripture that, that shows that proves this in Colossians chapter three, verse ten. Adam lost the image of God. Colossians three ten says this and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Notice the word renewed. It suggests what I just said. He had lost something. He didn't have it. But when he put on the new man, he got it back. Because the new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. So see, that which Adam had lost when he chose to sin, when he stepped into sin, the image of God. He got it back. Because he had lost the image of God. He had lost looking like God. But the new man is just like God because it is God. It is the life of God in us. So it looks like God. He is renewed in the image of God. So once again, this man, this new man, looks like God. He has the nature of God. That's important. So let me ask a couple more questions. How did, how did he lose this image? How was he led into sin and lose the image of God? Now, now here, here's where I want you to stay with me. The answer is by Satan's nature. Now look with me, if you will, at Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. I want you to understand something about Satan. And it will really help you, I believe, in, in combating Satan as our enemy. Isaiah 14, 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? If you don't know, and I'm not going to take time to go through this, but Lucifer is Satan. He was an angel of God in heaven who rebelled against God and was cast out. So this is Lucifer, Satan we're talking about. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart... I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. What does that sound like? Sound like pride to me. He said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to exalt my throne equal with God's. Above God. That's that's pride. <laughs> You can't call it anything else. Satan's nature 
is one of pride. Now, I want you to see his temptation to man. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Genesis 3, 4. Then the serpent, who is Satan, and I mean, you can go through and study that. I'm not making anything up. Then the serpent said to the woman. Now, this is the temptation that Satan brought to mankind in the garden. Then the serpent said to the woman, let me back up just a minute. He had said, what God tell you guys? He, he said, and she said to the serpent, that we can eat of any of the trees of the garden except the tree in the midst of the garden. And she messed it up a little bit, but she told him they couldn't eat of the tree of, in the, of the midst of the garden. And, and Satan said to her, here in verse 4, You're not going to die. You will not surely die. He questioned God's command. In verse 5, For God knows... That in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So what was the temptation that Satan offered to man, to Adam? Yeah. He offered him to be like God. Why did he do that? Why? Let's look at those two events. We read the scripture in Isaiah that describes Satan, which clearly depicts him as being proud. Now we read in Genesis the temptation of Satan to man, also offering man to be the same thing that he was, proud. He said, I can make you like God. Here, take my temptation I'll make you like God. Satan said that he would be exalted to God's level. Satan also said that Adam, or man, would be like God. Those are the same. Now hear this. Satan's temptation came from his nature. Pride. We established that he was proud. Now we see that his temptation was for pride. He offered man to be just like him. And man took it. Man took it. And when man took the offer, mankind fell. He lost the image of God. He no longer looked like God. He was corrupted. He was sinful. He was doomed to hell and death. This same thing happened one other time. We're not going to read through it, but in Matthew 4, Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness. Offered him the same thing. He he showed him all of the glory in the kingdoms of this world. And he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. Every bit of it. And he could have, because it had been given to him to do. Of course, Jesus rejected it, told him to get away, that he would not worship anyone but the Lord. But the same temptation was offered to Jesus. You see, 
Temptation has to have a source. And that source has to carry with it the nature of the tempter. And Satan's nature is pride. He's proud. So when he tempts, he offers whatever it is he's got. Pride. Adam sinned by following Satan's temptation, which carried Satan's nature. Pride. So here he lost God's image, took on the image or the nature of the one whose temptation he followed. That was Satan. This nature of the tempter, pride, became the nature of fallen man. So we wonder where we got that. We wonder why the old nature thinks it can handle things on its own. It's called pride. And we got it from the daddy of pride. The scripture says in John 8.44, you might want to put that up there. John 8.44. Jesus was talking to the Jews and they'd been arguing with him. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. So you wonder why we, we deal with pride? Because we're born, we are of a seed of pride. When man yielded to the temptation of Satan, he took on the nature of Satan. That's why it is so hard, it's so hard, to say no to pride. Because it's in our nature. It's in our old nature. You know the story about the tree. The good and the evil tree. The good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And the bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Whatever seed. We're born of. Is what our fruit's going to look like. And pride is one of the fruits of the seed of the old man. It came from Satan. We don't learn a nature. It comes from the seed of the father. Whichever father it is. Now because pride comes from the seed of Satan... God has an interesting attitude toward it. He hates it. God hates pride. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, 16. God hates pride. Not so much because it's worse than any other sin, but because it comes from the seed of Satan. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. Look what the very first one is. Next verse. A proud look. A proud look. Now flip over to Proverbs chapter 8, 
Verse 13. Proverbs 8.13. This is even more vivid. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. That's God talking. I hate those things. God hates pride. Often we miss pride. It's, it's well disguised in the world today. But the Bible says for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And why do we miss it? Because it's subtle. The father of it, Satan, is subtle. Oh, it's pretty easy to see in the arrogant leader who seeks recognition and seeks honor. It's pretty easy to see pride in that kind of person. But it's less evident in the timid or the shy. But even in those, their motive is driven by self. Self-righteousness, self-acceptance, self-security. Let me tell you what pride is. By definition, pride is self-respect, self-esteem, a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. It is conceit and arrogance. Pride is the motivation to find and keep self on the throne. Now, the temptation to pride is always going to exist in this life because it's one of Satan's main strategies. It's his nature. He can't help it. That's who he is. It fulfills an ambition in him if he can get me to act proudly. You know what that ambition is? To make me just like him. To make me look like him. See, Just like I now look like God because I'm created after His image and now I've been recreated after His image. There was a time that Satan had me and I looked like His image. When I live in pride, I look like Him. There's some examples in the Bible. I'm not going to read a lot of it, but I'll point some of them out. Peter. Jesus told the disciples that he was going to have to be mistreated and crucified and die. And what was Peter's reaction? Not so, Lord. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. Where are they? Let me at them. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. You know why? Because he looked just like him. He was acting in the same pride that Satan would. At that moment, and by the way, just prior to that, in the same chapter, Jesus had just got through giving the keys of the kingdom to Peter. That's how quickly he turned around. He said, I'll take care of you, Jesus. I'll I'll protect you. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me, and you're not thinking of the things of God and what you're saying. He acted in the nature that that he had. Paul was proud too. 
We're not going to go into it, but in Philippians 3, he depicted his social and legal status as being better than everybody else. And if you want to study the Bible and see the most vivid example of pride that there probably is, go to Daniel chapter 1 through 4 and read about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. I've got it in my notes, but we don't have time. He was very, very proud. Probably more than anyone ever has been. And you don't want to be where he was. You don't want to be where Nebuchadnezzar was. Pride comes to every man through the tempter, through the nature of the tempter, because it's of his seed. And once it's in us, we try to build up ourselves in order to sustain ourselves. Now, I want to spend a few minutes finishing up here with showing you a little more um, practical way that pride functions through the old man and, and holds us to an identity that's all about me. It's about self. One of the, one of the biggest manifestations of pride in the earth today is competition. It is cleverly disguised, but most people will blatantly advocate that competition is a good thing. And, and there may be a few places that it is. But I want to tell you, it is not a good thing in the church, in much of the ministry that God's trying to do. See, you know how, how competition works among Christians? We try to relate to all the other old men by competing with them. If I can outperform you within our little group or our big group or whatever group you want to talk about, then I win. And you don't have to listen very far to know that winning has become the guidepost for life. Some are even so blatant to say winning is everything. I'm here to tell you it's not. I'm here to tell you that Jesus made it clear that we didn't choose Him, He chose us. And furthermore, He chose us before the foundation of the world. Therefore, it's not possible that my performance is the basis on getting into the kingdom. Because I was chosen in Him before I ever had a performance. Before the foundation of the world. I had done nothing good or nothing bad when I was chosen. You see, Jesus' offer is not to a select few, to those who have surrendered to the call of ministry. It's not that at all. In fact, you'll find a very common term in the Bible is to whosoever will. 
let him come and drink of the waters of life. Whosoever. Well, is that the winners? Who is that? Yeah, it's the winners, it's the losers, it's everybody in between. Do you ever think about this? If you have to compete to come to Jesus, what about the, the mentally handicapped? They can't compete. They have nothing to compete with. What about the physically paralyzed who have to be taken care of in a wheelchair? What about those among us who have various forms of deficiencies in our bodies or in our minds? I just got back from Nicaragua where I met a, a young lady who only had one leg. She was deficient. She lacked what we consider important. But oh my. This girl heard from God. She came up to me and through an interpreter gave me a prophecy. She told me things about my life she could not have known. God used her mightily. So was she insufficient? Did she really lack? No. In the old man she did. She only had one leg. Had to walk with two crutches. But man, she was powerful. I was touched. We compete by saying, oh, well, I'm not as bad as somebody else. What we tend to do is pull out, I'll call them the biggies. Y'all know what the biggies are? The big sins. The ones we categorize as the really bad ones. Murder. Adultery. The biggies. That's how we compete and we say, I'm not like him. I mean, I haven't committed murder or adultery. Well, maybe. But let's see what the Bible says. In Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said by those of old, You shall not murder, and whosoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of counsel. And whosoever calls him a fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Oh. What about adultery? On down in verse 27, he says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm here to tell you that everybody in this room has done both. And if you're gasping and saying, well, maybe everybody else but not me, then you're deceived. (laughs) Jesus made it pretty clear. So we've done the biggies. We're guilty. So if I'm going to base my walk 
on how I compete, I don't come out very well. See, when we compete, someone wins, but somebody else loses. When we compete, we eliminate the losers. When we compete, we see everyone else as a threat to us. If we win, we feel superior. That's pride. We act destructively. And in our effort to reduce insecurity and lack of identity, we compete. The disciples did it. In Luke, it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. That's the disciples. They competed. But he said to whosoever will on that day, come. See, it's all about believing. It's not about performing. Believing is the single requirement to partake of the new nature, the new man. That's the only thing. There's another evidence that shows up a lot about pride. It manifests itself in the word offense. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I know a lot of Christians that are offended at Jesus. But he says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Those who are offended refuse to exchange the old for the new. They choose to maintain a root of bitterness toward God and toward man on the basis that all men are hypocrites. And to that I just say, Amen. I are one. They're driven by self-pity and they choose bondage over freedom. And if that fits you, you can get free from it. So in truly making the exchange, I must also see the motivation behind the two natures. And the motivation of the old nature is pride. And I must see it for what it is, and I have to abandon it. God hates it. God hates pride. It's Satan's nature. And God does not want His children doing it themselves. Instead, He wants you to rely upon His grace because His grace is sufficient. So that's how I make the exchange, identifying with Christ. And when I do that, I no longer have to have inherent worth. I no longer have to feel like my existence is justified. You know why? I don't need it anymore. Because instead of needing inherent worth, I'm now given imputed worth. Did you hear me? You don't have to have inherent worth because you're given imputed worth. It's given to you. It's earned by another. It's handed out to you by that other And the life that you now live is His life. And you have your validation. You're validated. You've got a little ear tag that says, I'm not my own. I belong to another. I'm good to go. Isn't that what we're after? (laughs) Let's quit looking for it within self, because we're not going to find it. 
I spent a lot of years looking for it. I finally learned. I'm not going to find it. And yet I have found it. It's in somebody else's life. But that life's now in me. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ in me. Therein I found my validation. Now I'd I'd like to invite you to stand and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us because it's not just head knowledge that's going to get this into us. It's the Spirit of God moving upon us. And that's what I'm going to pray, is that God will take this revelation and not only make sure you get the revelation, but He will impart it to you. And then, after you go and think about this later in the day or sometime, I want you to check and see if it's working. And here's how you check. Ask yourself this question. Can I honestly rejoice when all the honor is His. And there remains no hope of me getting any. No hope of any honor. Are you okay with that? In your old nature, you're not. But in Him, you will be. And and you can honestly say that. (laughs) You'll know that to be true. Father, I just pray for every one of us here in this room and those that might be hearing this message elsewhere, that by the power of Your Spirit sweeping over us, we are given this revelation that identifies pride for what it is and for where it comes from and also sets us free from it by the fact that we're a new creation. And in that new creation, we took on a renewed image, your image. And we look like you again. Let us live there, Lord. Impart to us the revelation and the power to live daily life in that new man that we truly are in you. Let every one of us go from this place having had things rearranged in our life. 